Hi, I'm Kate Bowler, and this is Everything Happens. Look, the world loves us when we are good, better, best. But this is a podcast for when you want to stop feeling guilty that you're not living your best life now. We're not always doing mountaintop yoga. I used to have my own delusion of living my best life now. I'm a Duke professor, wine and cheese enthusiast, wife and mom, Instagram gold. Then I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. That was four years ago, and I'm still here, and now I get it. Life is a chronic condition. The self-help and wellness industry will try to tell you that you can always fix your life. Eat this and you won't get sick. Lose this weight and you'll never be lonely. Believe with your whole heart and God will provide. Keep this attitude and the money is yours. But I'm here to look into your gorgeous eyes and say, hey, there are some things you can fix and some things you can't. And it's okay that life isn't always better. We can find beauty and meaning and truth, but there's no cure to being human. So let's be friends on that journey. Let's be human together. What does it mean to be blessed? If you were to scroll through social media, you'd assume that blessed are the ones with gorgeous families and matching chambray outfits, open style floor plans, or easy beach vacations where no one could possibly end up throwing sand. But Jesus had other things in mind. He said things like, blessed are the weak, blessed are the vulnerable, blessed are the grieving. What if blessed isn't exactly what our culture thinks it is? What if a blessing is something a bit more mysterious, a bit more comforting? And what if blessing could be an act of stubborn hope? Today, I'm speaking with someone who believes in the mystery of blessing. The Reverend Jan Richardson is an artist, writer, and ordained minister in the United Methodist Church. She serves as director of the Wellspring Studio and leads retreats and conferences. She often collaborated with her husband, the singer-songwriter Garrison Doles, until his sudden death in 2013. Jan is the author of Circle of Grace, Sparrow, and The Cure for Sorrow, which is honestly one of my very favorite books to give people going through hard times. Seriously, if you ever want like a beautiful, non-bossy book to give someone in pain, take a look. The Cure for Sorrow is just transcendent. And I feel so grateful to be speaking with the author today. I feel like I've been looking forward to this forever. Jan, hello. Hello, Kate. I have been looking forward to this so much. Thank you. I'm so glad and grateful to be in conversation together with you today. And so grateful for your words about blessing and also grateful for the way that you invite people into conversations that are both hard and joyous and that Aww. in itself is a blessing. So I have been looking forward to what I have been anticipating will be a, a hard and joyous <laughs> conversation with you. And I'm glad to be in that space. Thank you. Aww, thanks. I've always thought of you as having just a shared brain with me about my obsession with uh, blessing. As you know, my background is in this history of the prosperity gospel, which has this very uh, aggressive definition <laughs> of what blessing's supposed to be. 
you pray hard, you believe hard, God is going to give you health and wealth and happiness. But then, you know, we're, we're in this culture permeated by, by hashtag blessed as this display of unexpected, but completely deserved gifts, like new car, hashtag blessed. Bikini body, hashtag blessed. Right. So many years ago, you began crafting a different kind of blessing. So how does your understanding with blessing contrast with this hashtag blessed world? Yes, I'm so familiar with the ways uh, and certainly have experienced the ways in our culture that you, that you describe so well, that you articulate so well, you know, hashtag blessed uh, dynamic that, um, that so many people treat as a way of somehow keeping score, that blessings are... A, a way of keeping tally of just precisely how benevolent God <laughs> is toward us and just how much Jesus likes us and how fond he is for us. And, and that that manifests in good things and lovely things and enjoyable things. And that's, that's pretty foreign to the tradition of blessing that we find within the Jewish and Christian traditions and other traditions as well, where blessings are something very different than that. They appear from Genesis through Revelation, and they always appear as something that has, um, there's a toughness to them. Mm -hmm. uh, they are often in poetic form. There's a beauty to them, but there's, I know you know that in, in, Eng in the English language, blessing, you know, to bless shares a root with the word blood. And and I think there's something about a blessing that has a living heartbeat that can be passed from one person to another. Oh. There is no kind of situation. There is nothing in the circle of experience, our experience, our lived human experience that lies outside God's desire for blessing for us, which uh, translates to God's desire for wholeness for us to have whole hearts, even when they are shattered. Oh, yeah. Everything you said sounds exactly, it's just like landing exactly right in my little heart. Your books are so easy to just highlight the crap out of. <laughs> hey, can I use that for enforcement yeah. <laughs> for my next book? <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I like the crap out of. Well, one thing that I just highlighted was um, when you wrote, a blessing is at its most potent in times of disaster, devastation, and loss, mm. when God's providence seems most difficult to find, a blessing helps us perceive the grace that threads through our lives. That makes me think like blessing is also like an act of storytelling. Like it helps us be like, no, is there a plot here that isn't just, and then the hero loses everything. Right. Yeah. I like it too, that it also takes us away from the, the idea that blessing is like, and now I pronounce this magically better, or even sometimes like a magically spiritual, like a blessing does this. So I know we have blessings for like transitions, but there's nothing, there's just nothing formulaic exactly about it. Like it, it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. Mm, right. Yes. And amen to there's absolutely nothing magical about it. <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about blessings is that really, they really do take kind of the most ordinary of words, speak into, you know, drawn from the most ordinary. And by ordinary, I don't mean easy. You know, by ordinary, I mean the life and death 
kind of stuff that we are constantly living with in some some kind of way. And they the blessings emerge from those experiences and they speak into those experiences. And they're not magical, they're not hocus pocus. They are they are drawn from that lived beating heart kind of mm. experience um, or the ending of a beating heart kind of experience. Um, and part of my experience of a blessing is that a good blessing invites us into a space where it doesn't try to make sense of something, but it assures us that even when we have a hard time believing it or imagining it, uh, that God is somehow present mm. there. And the blessing, a blessing has a way of naming that and inviting us into that. Sometimes when we can't even necessarily believe every word of the blessing, but it invites us into that space. Yes. A little what if. <laughs> yes. Would you mind reading one of your blessings? I was thinking especially one of your blessings for Lent called Blessing the Body. Mm, yeah, I'd be glad to. This blessing takes one look at you and all it can say is holy. Holy hands, holy face, holy feet, holy everything in between. Holy even in pain, holy even when weary, in brokenness, holy, in shame, holy still. Holy in delight, holy in distress, holy when being born, holy when we lay it down at the hour of our death. So, friend, open your eyes, holy eyes, for one moment see what this blessing sees. This blessing that knows how you have been formed and knit together in wonder and in love. Welcome this blessing that folds its hands in prayer when it meets you. Receive this blessing that wants to kneel in reverence before you, you who are temple, sanctuary, home for God in this world. I love that. Oh, thank you, Kate. That reminds me of um, one time when uh, Barbara Brown Taylor said something like, uh, you know, at some point, Every now and then you just got to take off all your clothes and stand in front of the mirror and say, <laughs> this is God's address. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you're describing is so, it's so, um, it's so hard in our brokenness to feel like anything good lives there. And then to think that God, God's self might actually like stick around. It's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's part of the power of a blessing. And I think that's part of the, the grace and invitation of a blessing it, is that one of the things it does is that it can invite us into a space where, yeah, I'm not sure I believe that right now, but maybe if I wander around here a little bit and absorb the words and let them work on me. Totally. Sometimes when I'm writing a blessing, things configure, words configure, ideas configure that even I have to chew on some, you know, is that really true? Is that <laughs> totally. Uh, that's, part of, that's part of the grace of blessing. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. We have this really beautiful community here at the Everything Happens uh, project that just, that knows that um, just 
either because of the professions they've chose or the or the the wisdom they've accidentally bumped into in their lives, whether they wanted to or not, that they just know that we need we need words for that in between because our lives are defined by so much beauty and then and then so much sadness. And you're you just really become one of the our 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 pillars of that we we sort of lean on when we talk about grief. Mm. And I'm so grateful to you uh, for that. You, of course, didn't want to become an expert in grief. Amen. (laughs) It's something you know very intimately. If you don't mind telling me uh, what happened, uh, your husband, Gary, seemed to be going into a very uncomplicated surgery when, when things didn't go as planned. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, Gary, Gary and I had just gotten married in the spring of 2010 after being together for a long time and knowing from virtually the outset that we would be making a life together. Mm-hmm. And then just uh, barely three years later, he went to the doctor. I was having something going on with his throat and just went to the clinic to get it checked out. And uh, came back and some hours later and said, I have a brain aneurysm. Oh. In the course of um, doing the checking out of the throat stuff that turned out not to be a problem, they had done an, uh, a scan that revealed the presence of this unruptured aneurysm. We had hoped he would be able to have a simple, simpler, less invasive procedure called coiling. Once the preliminary testing, you know, uh, was done, it became clear that he would need to have, because of the science and placement, he was going to need to have surgery. He went into surgery in the afternoon, and uh, when the surgeon still wasn't out at 11 p.m., midnight, oh. one, two, three, finally at four o'clock in the morning, he came out and said it did not go as we anticipated. Oh. And there had been a clot that became evident during surgery, and they're not sure whether it had already been there or if something about the, the surgical procedure triggered it. Gary had a massive stroke on oh. the operating table and never regained consciousness. They had some hope for some measure of recovery, but uh, complications cascaded, and two and a half weeks later, he died. Oh, damn. Yeah, that must have just ended a, ended a world. It did. That is a good description of it. I um, I'm so struck that in the, in the midst of so much grief, that you turned to, the the act of blessing. Like, that might be counterintuitive for people who think like, couldn't we have like the tradition of curses in <laughs> Christianity? Like, wouldn't that be a great time to say for just like bring it on all goody? Oh my gosh, I've done that. I've done my share, and probably a few other people's share of of the cursing as well, and and that's somehow part of the process too. I think. Yeah. I mean, maybe you just did it like instinctively, but like, what was behind like the turn back toward blessing in the midst of grief? Mm. There are some things that are hard to remember about that time. I mean, I remember one of my friends, one of my good, good friends telling me not long after Gary's death, you know, Jane, your executive functions are going to take a hit for a mm-hmm. while. And that definitely was was true. And memory is, I remember everything, you know, everything about Gary, but just kind of that, just that, oh gosh, that morass of time after, after his death. 
I, I don't I don't know that it was a conscious choice exactly. I'm going to continue to write blessings. I think I didn't know what else to do. I think I was so desperately in need of a blessing and and needing to articulate you know something of the awfulness um you know that and tr- knowing and trusting or trusting at least that that that's you know the awfulness is somehow part of the blessing and I say that in an entirely unsentimental kind yes, of way yes. this is not about looking for the silver lining this is not you know oh my gosh you're denying anything anything that has transpired this is you know taking the pieces of the broken heart and sitting with them and waiting to see what the spirit is going to create with the pieces knowing that it will never be the same blessings really inhabit those threshold spaces of of mystery that we can you know and we we find some words to bring to bear on that in any way so i think it was in part an act of desperation that i wrote blessings before gary died and maybe i can write some blessings after his death and they're not going to be quite the same kind kind of blessing but there was something in there that i needed and that was in a time um that when i i eventually got clear and at some point after Gary died that I had to stop assuming that some of the things that were true about me and about my life before his death were going to be also true after his death. But there's been something about blessing and that's part of the mystery. They're part of what carried me across the threshold and continue to carry me. Oh, that's a perfect word. One, I think my absolute favorite blessing of yours is a blessing for the brokenhearted. And I have um, read it out loud a zillion times. And now I would really prefer if you would read it in your voice. <laughs> would you mind? I would be I would be glad to, Kate. And I'm grateful for the voice that you have given to it as well. Oh. This is just briefly a, a blessing that I wrote as we were coming up on the first Valentine's Day after Gary's death. Blessing for the brokenhearted. It begins with an epigraph from Henry David Thoreau where he says, there is no remedy for love, but to love more. Let us agree for now that we will not say the breaking makes us stronger or that it is better to have this pain than to have done without this love. Let us promise we will not tell ourselves time will heal the wound when every day our waking opens it. And you. Perhaps for now, it can be enough to simply marvel at the mystery of how a heart so broken can go on beating as if it were made for precisely this, as if it knows the only cure for love is more of it, as if it sees the heart's sole remedy for breaking is to love still as if it trusts that its own persistent pulse is the rhythm of a blessing we cannot begin to fathom, but will save us nonetheless. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) This one's deeply hopeful. I just think it is a very stubborn blessing this one it's like it's (laughs) determined in a way that i love 
Thank you. Stubborn. Stubborn has been um, stubborn has been a word that keeps recurring for me, particularly uh, in the context of hope. Mm. You know, just it's been such a such a thing to learn in the wake of Gary's death that hope is stubborn. I um, I was talking to my friend, Doctor Willie Jennings, uh, the other day, and he said, uh, "I will be disciplined by hope." Ooh. But you're somebody who makes sure that that hope is a thing that that you're always on the lookout for. Your new memoir, Sparrow, began when Gary was in the hospital. You wrote down everything you wanted to tell him when he got out of surgery. And then after he died, you picked up the document months later and continued writing what became a series of conversations. Tell me why the Sparrow has been such a powerful image for you. That Sparrow, kind of like the blessings, that Sparrow has been kind of sneaky as well. It's somewhere along the way, Psalm 84 became just an absolute favorite for Gary and me. And it's Mm -hmm. this you know, it's that beautiful psalm where the psalmist offers the image of the sparrow and the swallow who make their nest, uh, make their home at the altar of God. You know, there was something about that that was really, really compelling for us. That particular psalm inspired one of Gary's very favorite songs of mine, which is saying something because I have a lot of favorite songs Aww. of Gary's, but one uh, that he called, I Will Be a Sparrow. Mm. And when it came time to decide, my um, pastor friend, Bob, who officiated at Gary's memorial service, um, he, shall we say, strongly encouraged me to, th- to think about sharing a song of Gary's at the outset of the service. And where I thought I wouldn't be able to bear to hear Gary's voice that day, Bob, in his quiet, steady wisdom, uh, said, perhaps it's something that that we will all need to hear uh, that day. And that was the song that kept coming to me, I Will Be a Sparrow. And that's, that's what we listened to as we gathered for, um, for, for that day. And, and I found just that sparrows kept showing up in the wake of Gary's death and in tangible ways, you know, literally flitting across my path and, and uh, poems that came my way with mysterious timing and other, other readings. And, it, it, and that sparrow became for me you know, not so much a um, kind of a sign of Gary's ongoing presence, but something of of a witness to the ongoing, enduring, stubborn <laughs> um, presence of love um, that continues. You know, even through uh, the the rending of of grief, and those sparrows somehow became a, a testament and a testimony to that. I love it too because it's like delightful. It's not like an anchor. I just, I love that. It's such a beautiful combination of like lightness and heaviness. Mm. You have such a powerful way of, of accounting for the, well, I guess the fact that there's just no good math for grief. You write like grief is the least linear thing I know. So it just made me want to ask you like, what has surprised you about how grief works? <laughs> or doesn't. <laughs> or just happens. Or just keeps happening. Unclear. Oh, my goodness. That I've been thinking lately about how grief is full of hidden rooms. And some of those rooms hold explosives. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yes. and some of those rooms hold treasures. And we don't know quite what we're going to get when we open the door or when, or when the doors open for us, because that's just, you know, that's one of the, how that's how grief works is that we, it comes on us, not by choice typically, and um, not, not something that we would have willingly opened 
the door to, not something we would have uh, chosen to welcome in. And and it, certainly my experience is that in my ongoing grief, I still don't get to open all the doors. There are some I have some choice about and and have some intention about. And that's part of grief's invitation is to figure out what, you know, what's the invitation to us? How am I being called to move in, in this threshold space and this broken space? There's this remarkable provision that comes, uh, can come to us in, in our grieving as part of the, the hidden rooms that open to us in grief that don't go in an orderly or linear fashion. We kind of have to wander and stumble our way around them. But when, but when those treasure rooms open to us, that's, that's an amazing thing. You're like, who did this floor plan? It's not right. very intuitive. I, yeah, there should be a bathroom exactly. here. There should be a rec room. <laughs> Just let me have a word with this architect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's way too much basement here. Yeah, I feel like it just keeps going down. Why? You say too things like, um, I felt like I could do 15 minutes at a time. And that really made a lot of sense to me. Like the idea that in the midst of... um. Grief time to me feels very sludgy, you know, it's just, it's very gooey time and (laughs) I hated it. And so sometimes it just, it does, it helps organize your brain when you can just set these little short horizons and make little tiny decisions like bit by bit. Mushy and gooey. Yes. That's that. Those are great, great descriptions of, of grief time. And I'm, I'm a little taken aback that I, that you quote me as saying that I could plan 15 minutes at a, you know, at a time. Cause my memory is that I was doing all the plan, like two minutes at a time. Uh, we're going to max out on 30 seconds right, here. Exactly. It does remind me of um, the, one of my favorite uh, Netflix shows was the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And when she was always in her oh. underground bunker, she was like 10 seconds at a time. And I was like, yeah, Gosh, no, that's, yeah. that's how that goes. Yeah. That's exactly part of how the gooey mushy grief time works is that we keep breathing hopefully. And praying for the grace and not always consciously because yeah because grief grief so often robs us of the ability to dream and uh, that's that's part of and particularly as an artist and a writer that's so much of what i experienced about grief is that grief has this ability to just gut our Mm -hmm. capacity for imagining and dreaming and envisioning and planning and you know, could, cause what did all our dreaming and imagining and visioning and planning get us <sighs> when we're here at this place, but that eventually becomes one of the greatest gifts is that the, the dreaming and time wakes up again. It's stubborn. It's part of hope that my imagination, I think the gift of our imagination is one of the most remarkable things that has the ability to come to life again after, after grieving and so I think that's part of what helps us move from being able to plan two minutes at a time to 10 minutes at a time to, you know, 15 and 20 and then days and, and weeks ahead. Oh, I like that too, as a promise too, where you're like, don't worry, my dear, you will wake up. Like it's still in there. Cause I think the, the feeling is always that the, well, then it's gone. It's gone. I'm gone. There is a person who knew me and loved me. And I think that's something we hear a lot from, from this beautiful community is like a very deep fear that like, what if, what if the person I am or was is just gone forever? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. One of my core questions, you know, at the heart of writing my new book, Sparrow was who am I when the one 
you know, when the person who has known me best uh, in all the world is gone from from this world. And I, yeah, that, and that continues to be, be a question for me. And, and two, you know, part of my experience of grieving is that in the aching and the rending of the loss that I continue to live with on, on a minute to minute daily basis, there's this deep awareness that my heart is held now by somebody who lives in eternity and that poses lots of questions too, because it can be kind of hard to get up and make breakfast and, you know, do laundry. And, you know, when, when, you know, my heart has been torn open to eternity and in the way, in the way that grief and deep loss can do to us. I was very resentful of that, to be honest. I thought I was, I was pretty pissed. <laughs> yeah. I've been pretty pissed about this topic because I just thought, well, you know, if I die, then, and my, my kid is too. <sighs> Like what I wanted was to know him when he was, was three and four. And, and what does eternity mean? Like, thank you. Thank you. Fullness of time. I'm not super interested in it. If I miss out on this part. <laughs> it is not a satisfying consolation prize. And that should not be, yeah, something that you and your son and family ever have to think about what you are describing is true. There is a feeling of a moreness. It's just that from here, what we wanted was this. <laughs> so it's- and this is, you know, this is we're made for this. This is, you know, we're made for this daily, messy, wonderful, messy again, you know, um, life together. I want this stupid life. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And the enoughness that we experience when we really just when our hearts are beating with love, you're like, no, God, like this, this was enough. I didn't. Thanks for promising more, but I was, this was absolutely more than enough. Thanks. Exactly. Thank you for that. <laughs> Amen to that. I have been upset about this topic. Thank you. <laughs> you know, you give us more and more language for the, that feeling of, of, of befores and afters and I really like what my friend, Nora, my friend, Nora McInerney, she, um, she lost her husband and, and they had their young child together and she was really resentful of all the talk about like, well, okay, so then, okay, so then now what? <laughs> if she ever loved again, or if she had ever was happy, or if she ever had a variety of different, beautiful things happen, they would say, oh, well, I'm so glad for you that you moved on. And she became really frustrated with the like the thinness of the language of, of moving on. You thought about that in really like delicate ways. Mm. <laughs> How do we give a little bit more, I don't know, freedom to people to have like happiness after or, or worry that we really lost something we can't get back? Like how do we open up that space? Uh, there were times, fortunately, not a lot of times, but there were times, particularly in the first few years after Gary's death, where um, I would sometimes get a question that went like, um, are you better now? We're right. I remember talking with uh, somebody who said, I look forward to your being all back, which just did kind of a slow burn in me. And yeah, I'm really clear that Continuing to make a life for myself here in this place, there's no going backness <laughs> um, to that. That it, it's a 
I do feel this really clear, well, not always clear, but this, this, this ongoing invitation to live. I mean, there's, that's also, I think that's God's desire for us. And that would be the desire that is the desire of the beloved, the one we, whom we have lost, that would be, that is their desire for us to live, you know, to, to live in this life. But again, it's with that sense of, you know, something has rended that no longer allows me to live only in, in this world. Oh, what a good way of saying that, Jan. That's right. Something has happened that doesn't let me only live in this world. Jeez, that's good. That sense of that we are called to live and to continue, but it's not going to be in, in a way that really di- ever completely divests us, us of our grief, because that's now part of who I am. That love that I was, that I have been and am so extraordinarily fortunate to experience with Gary. Um, and the grief of losing the in the flesh daily lived experience of that, you know, that the grief of of losing that will always be be with me, even as that love inspires me and informs me as I continue to figure out what it means to to make a life in in this world, this world that has suddenly, you know, that became ever so much bigger than I had really wanted it to be with Gary's death. Yes. Those are hard, hard things to find language for. <laughs> it's a good prayer, though. It's like, God, this world became bigger than I had hoped. And I am it. not thrilled. Yeah. Yep. Your ability to add very delicate language to our, our deep, our deep hungers and our deep fears and our, then our deep hopes is something that has been just a huge gift to me. And so thank you for the stubbornness that that represents because you've decided to keep doing it in a, in a culture that would have, would have preferred a much simpler explanation. Mm. Thank you so much for being with me. This was a real gift. Oh, thank you so much, Kate. It's been a gift to me. And thank you for inviting me to be part of, of the conversation, to join with you in that ongoing search for for language for these things. We'll figure it out, though. I think we could totally figure it out. (laughs) Word by word. Years ago, my friend's neighborhood flooded. The nearby river had washed out the bottom two floors of people's homes. And so some friends and I drove out to help people clear out the wreckage of what was left. It was all of their belongings, everything they loved, waterlogged, and about to become a giant mold trap splayed all over the neighborhood. So basically everything had to go. I was cleaning out this yard, throwing clothes and headboards and old board games into a dumpster. And I reached for this tricycle. And everyone around me all at once yelled, no, 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 not that. And my first thought was, but this neighbor doesn't have a kid. I knew he lived alone. But my friend said quietly, oh no, that's Chris's tricycle. They lost him when he was four. The neighbor cleared his throat and gently took back the tricycle. And he said to me, a stranger and a completely dumb college student, yes, I'm sorry, I'll need to keep that. I will become a lot of things, 
but I need to remember that I was that kid's dad. That really stuck with me. Because, yeah, the floods will come. It will take almost everything away. We will keep losing the landmarks of who we were, who we are. And we need more accounting for the ways that we can remind ourselves. But yes, I am still also that. What we need is a blessing for this space, a minute, a breath, a small way to say, I am this and I am that. I feel joy and I am heartbroken. I feel nothing in this moment and everything the next. Nothing will be okay again, but wait. Even though it's hard to believe now, no, we do not move on or forget. But we can allow life to take up the space it demands, hoping that one day our love will outweigh our sorrow. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the generosity of the Lilly Endowment. Huge thank you to my team, Jessica Ritchie, Keith Weston, Harriet Putman, and JJ Dickinson. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe to Everything Happens wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. Find me online at katesebowler or at katebowler.com. This is Everything Happens with me, Kate Bowler.